0: On this episode of Deal and Extend, we discuss changes in Linux that cannot be stopped. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 52 of Deal and Extend. Deal and Extend is the community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, like the discourse forums, telegram groups, Discord server, and more. We also snag topics from around the network and give you our takes. With me this week is my fantastic co-host, Nate, the OpenSUSE extraordinaire. We are missing Matt, our game enabler, but that's all right. Hopefully, we'll see him next week. How are things been going, Nate?
1: Things been going great. You know, the weather's getting nice out. You can do some outdoor projects coming out in the summer and not shriveling away like a vampire i think it's a wonderful thing <laughs> yes living in the north i do the cold north of michigan I guess it's really not that north but northish of michigan it's pretty much like cloudy here up until about april not always not entirely live little hyperbole i can enjoy the weather and so forth so when i'm not enjoying the weather like in the evenings when i decided to go back inside i've been i did a little write-up on TiddlyWiki. it's a personal non-linear notebook note-taking application and I've been using this actually for quite a while, since about 2012. I believe a, a friend of mine, we'll codename him Paul, he actually introduced it to me, and I'm like, oh, this is okay. And I started playing with it, I'm like, oh, this is really great. It's something I've been using just all the time, it's just kind of been a regular part of my note taking strategy. The actual file now is like seven megabytes of text. So it's a pretty large file and it's got stuff in it going back all the way to 2012. I think it's remarkable. One of the things I really like about it is just how the data is always available because it works out of a browser. Things aren't going to change so radically that I'm going to lose access to my data. It's always available. And it's very easy just to just get up and use, but it's extensible enough that you can do all kinds of things with it. A few years back, like security things changed in the browsers. The tidy we could no longer save directly to the hard drive. Hard drive. What year is it? <laughs> My SSD or whatever. So you had to like do a plugin, and then the plugin stopped working because I changed some of the attributes of the plugin or something like that. Codename Paul, friend, he helped me out this week in getting it to work properly in the browser again, as opposed to using this tiddly desktop thing. Went through the process of how to actually do that, you know, step by step and what you have to do. And then I went one step further and make it kind of like an application, like a standalone. I created a Firefox profile. Profile specific for TiddlyWiki doesn't have anything else in the profile except for what's needed to make it the dark scroll bars and then save the file locally how I did that in Linux. I also went one step further and I created an OpenSUSE breeze dark theme, the Plasma color scheme. I basically changed the tiddly wiki to look like that. It's got the breeze dark colors, kind of like you'd see on Dolphin. The frame is a lighter gray. It's a dark gray, but it's a little bit lighter than the window itself, like the body of the window. I modified it to look like that. And now it integrates very nicely into my work environment. I really like it. Just kind of enhanced something that I've been using for the last... What? Sometime late in 2012 was when I started using it
0: 2012, so that's almost
1: Nine years Yeah, almost nine years I got tiddlers all the way back to when I first started using it it's so simple, it's easy to use You can use it very rapidly for taking notes The only downside that I really have with it, there's not really a good mobile app for it You can view the files, obviously To synchronize between my machines, I use SyncThing So it just synchronizes around anything that has that SyncThing default folder, essentially And my pool of computers will have access to that I can look at it on my tablet But again, I can't edit it on the mobile devices Just on the computer that's the only real downside. I have my other methods of taking notes that are smaller. If I'm doing it on a phone anyway, it's not something usually I'm keeping persistently anyway. Yeah. The nice thing is if I have no internet connection, if the internet goes down, I'm not cut off from the service because I have it locally. And because I use Sync thing, it just syncs around on my local network anyway, and I always have access to my information. Instead of bookmarks, because bookmarks don't work for me very well, if I have a link to something, and then I write little additional notes on it, and then I can like embed images or I can even embed YouTube videos into it as well, I can make like a collection or a grouping of information in what's called a tiddler, a single block of information. And I can also reuse blocks and so forth and then tag them so you can actually list them by tag. Say it's open source related or KDE related. I can look at everything that's grouped in as such. It's very handy. It's very extensible. People build plugins for this and so forth. I don't know why I haven't really talked about it before. It's something I use. Probably the same reason I don't talk about notebook paper, I guess, at this point.
0: It's such a normal everyday appliance that you forget that it's even there. Exactly. I really like this idea and especially the syncing. I wish it worked on a mobile device because I would like to find something that when I leave the house, if there's something else that needs to be added to the shopping list, it could be added and then synced to my phone so that I can see there. Because most of the time, if I leave and something needs added to the shopping list and I'm driving, I can't write it down and then forget to write it down and then get home without this thing that was supposed to be added to the shopping list, which happens more often than I would like to admit. Right. That would be a wonderful way for things to be added. I'm curious. I really want to go look at your how-to for this, see about getting it setting up. Even if I can't edit it, if somebody at home can add it. Just write down, this is what else we need. And then just send me a message saying, hey, I added stuff to the shopping list.
1: I was thinking there is a way to use, I think, Google Drive as a backend. I think that might work on mobile, but because I don't use Google Drive all the time, I could try that out and see if that would work. I actually use Simple Notes for my grocery lists. I have a desktop client and then it's not persistent. I need to keep it long-term information. Right. Like with Tiddly Week, yeah, that's all long-term stuff. Wendy, what exciting things do you have going on? I understand that you're doing some office updates.
0: Yes, absolutely. We are continuing on this journey of eventually getting a desk. I spent most of Easter Sunday finishing up my side table. That's kind of my test run. So testing out the new sander that I got and my epoxy showed up. So I was able to use part of that kit to get the base coat on the top. But I haven't had time to test for the epoxy. And I feel it's an extremely important thing for me to do they make it look dummy proof on the YouTube stuff. Well, of course they do. Of course they do, right? Tutorials want to make it look easy, so you want to do it.
1: I've seen infomercials so many times that it's just <laughs> easy, then you get it. No, it's not.
0: No, it's not. Nowhere near that easy. Except
1: my Ron Popeil <laughs> rotisserie. That's the only thing that's set it and forget it. Everything else has been...
0: Not so good. <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of
1: a nut roll. Sorry, I sidetracked from the desk.
0: Not a problem. It actually fits in pretty good with that exact thought process. My husband helped me get the main desk part set up yesterday so we got a spot cleared in the garage where the l-shaped desk legs all got put together and then we put the top on it so right now it's just the raw mdf nothing else has been done to it we glued the smaller piece to the longer piece. So we've got the longer board that makes up a good chunk of the desk. And then because it's L-shaped, there's a shorter piece coming off it. So those two pieces are glued together because when I do the pour on this, I want it to look like one solid slab of rock instead of two separate pieces.
1: How are you joining the tabletop together? Do you have like a frame that it's sitting on top of a, a shorter frame of some sorts?
0: Right now, the whole desktop is screwed into the frame of the desk. So when we glued those two pieces together, it's actually the Frame of that. So, we put some plastic underneath where those joints are just to make sure that it would catch any glue that dripped down. So, that glue wasn't landing on the desk. And then there's some spots on the underside that I'll need to sand a bit. But all the stuff that's on the underside, I'm not as worried about, right? Because you're not going to see it. Right. So, then I will go through. We've got some Bondo. I'll go ahead and Bondo the gap between them, sand that down, fill in any screw holes. It's supposed to be one inch, and all I could find was half inch. So, I got two half inch pieces that we have mechanically put together to make a one inch
1: sandwich them together.
0: Yeah, exactly. In order to make a one inch piece, have some different work on the top to do before I get to do the paint and pour and all of that long process stuff. But I'm getting really excited. It's so nice to actually see the desk put together, even though the top isn't finished. Looking at my desk right now, it is so cluttered and so full of crap, which I know this new one's going to have more room. And I am worried about, oh, there's more space. So let's just set more stuff on mom's desk because that does have a tendency to happen.
1: I think that's the way it works. The more horizontal space you have, the more it'll collect things.
0: Just crap gets piled on top of it. Yeah. But part of the hope is that I will be able to take notes while doing a show and that kind of thing. What was it? Last week, I was trying to take raw times while we were recording so that when I did the editing at the end, I kind of knew where different sections stopped and started and kind of sped up that process Of adding the music and other things like that that needed to be added to it. Literally, every single part of my desk is taken out. There is no place to write on a paper or my tablet on the desk, which is probably part of the reason why there's been a whiteboard on this desk for so long. Because if you got this little four by four inch space, you can take a little note in there because there's no place to put any other media for taking those kind of notes down on it. And because right now I'm down to one screen, I don't have an extra screen to where I can just throw notes off to the one side. Everything that I need is taken up on the one 32 inch monitor and don't have room for anything else. Man, I want at least two screens again. With this new desktop build, hopefully I will have more room, be able to do things a little bit easier. I'm so excited to see this come together. One of the best parts about making your own desktop, besides making sure it'll fit in the space that you have, is that we will be able to drill the holes for cables and stuff to go through exactly where I want them and where I'm going to put stuff. Ah, yes. That is part of the next step is I want to get those marked out before I do too much sanding so we can get those holes drilled for cables to go through.
2: This episode of DL Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services, such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users, easily store and manage private container images, and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this, plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co/dln, and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets, or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with $100 credit by going to do.co/dln.
0: Linux has constantly been changing, and I hear from so many people in the community, including you, Nate, about how rough things were in the early years. And then, right after I joined Linux, it hit the point where it was more usable for the average person. When I got into Linux, everything, and I don't want to say just worked, but it was a really nice jump for me from Windows into Linux. I was able to do the stuff that I needed. There really wasn't a whole a lot of fiddling, even getting printers and that kind of stuff going. That really was pretty gosh dang simple. There are more changes coming down the road currently being switched over inside the software part of Linux. These things are no longer maybe going to happen we're actually seeing them hit distributions.
1: Yeah, you know, I remember when the uh, system D switch happened and how angry people were. People had a problem with how obtrusive, how much system D actually did of the system, as opposed to V in it, Sys5 in it, or whatever you want to call it. I actually like system D, so you can send your hate mail to Wendy at DestinationLakes.net. <laughs> I'm looking forward to these changes that are coming to Linux. Well, some of these changes anyway. I'm always a little apprehensive. Like when we went from KDE 3 to 4, and then Plasma 4 or whatever, Plasma on the 4 framework, there were some things that I lost initially with it that made my computing experience less enjoyable. And then from 4 to 5, Plasma 4 to Plasma 5, there was again a few things that were lost, which I did eventually get back. My worry is anytime there are major changes happening in Linux, my first question is always, what are you going to take away from me? What am I going to lose? What am I not going to be able to do anymore should the change happen? With Wayland, I've tried it from time to time. Actually, I tried it recently on my newer HP system, Elite Book. Looked fine. Looked great. In fact, it was very, very smooth, very buttery smooth. Almost eerily smooth about it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Certain applications just wouldn't work properly. Some of the user inputs were also a little bit weird. Things that I would normally do wouldn't work. I cannot recall what they were exactly. Like, my hotkeys weren't working. A lot of weird things. It could have been KDE, KWIN uh, issue as far as, like, some of the presets didn't carry over or something like that. A simple Screen Recorder didn't work for me. I couldn't use OBS. But everything else seemed to be fine. I didn't continue to use it because I don't have to mess with X11. I just continue to use that instead. At least I am right now. But I do test it from time to time. I like the changes. I like the, if you have a touchscreen, they have like an on-screen keyboard that'll pop up very nicely. And the way the windows scale to accommodate it looks fantastic. It just wasn't there for a few little things that were just, just enough to keep me from using it. Have you tried Wayland recently yourself?
0: I haven't tried it recently. It's actually been a couple of years since I used a system that had Wayland as a default. And that was when I was running on Fedora. And since I found Manjaro, I really haven't played with Fedora too much. I didn't have overall really too many problems with it, but I wasn't using OBS. I wasn't using simple screen recorder. So those were two things that may have been an issue, but I didn't know about them because they weren't applications that I was using. At the time, I had an NVIDIA graphics card, and that is where some of the funkiness came in with Wayland. Right. Anybody who's used NVIDIA and Wayland together, at least at the time that I was using it a couple of years ago, some of the icons and stuff would get this really weird, grainy look to them, or they wouldn't be there at all, or have really weird colors. And while I wouldn't say that that was... ideal. It wasn't anything that bothered me at the time because I had come from Windows recently before that and was just so happy that I could sit down and get my work done without having to fiddle with things because there was an update (laughs) that happened and I couldn't use my computer until I reset stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. So
0: it was one of those things that was an issue, but it was an issue I wasn't really worried about because it was better than what I came from. One of those issues I could live with. And since then, I myself haven't thought too much about Wayland and its uses. It seems like over the last four years, it's really coming along in development and going to start being out there more. If I remember correctly, isn't Ubuntu going to start using Wayland?
1: I don't think there should be any yet. If that was Fedora that was going to again. I'm not sure who's shipping it now or who's going to get ready to ship it. I think they're available, but I think just not by default.
0: I don't know where I remember hearing that from, but I was thinking that another larger distribution was going to start using it.
1: It does say 2104 may ship with Wayland display server enabled by default. It, say it may ship by default.
0: May ship. So it kind of depends on bugs. And 2104 will not be an LTS. So it's one of those that if they decide to ship it, it's one where they can see how well it works instead of one that we are locked into this. right, Aren't there LTSs supported for four years?
1: I think it's five actually. They want to try it again to see if there's enough time to get it worked out before they ship the next LTS.
0: Which makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, I hope they're successful with it. I see the downsides of X, sort of. I don't fully see it, but I do understand it's held together by bailing wire and duct tape. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of work because they have all these little workarounds and these patch cables. It's kind of like a Rube Goldberg machine. We should be all excited that it does work as well as it does. Just don't touch that. Don't mess with anything. Right. Now, once it's set up, you don't touch it. Just leave it. And I remember the earlier days of having to mess with X configuration files to get things to work, which is not really a thing so much to today, unless you have some really obscure setup, like my ultra wide, I need to make a modification for that. If it truly does smooth out a lot of these other little issues and it can still use maybe some legacy X programs or there's a way to encapsulate some older applications, then I'm all for it. For me, it's like, what am I going to lose is my biggest concern.
0: Do you think the Linux community learned a lesson when they went, I can't remember what was before Pulse, but when they started using Pulse as the audio interface, there was still a whole lot of problems with it and Linux itself suffered because they changed too early. Do you think they learned that lesson? And while it's taking longer to have Wayland be the main graphics compositor, just because they don't want to do it too early and have all of these back steps from using it too soon.
1: You're asking, do I think that they learned their lesson and will do this properly? Yes. No, I don't think we've learned our lesson on that. We flipped too early with Plasma from three to four. Plasma 4 was not ready in 2009. It was actually shortly before that as when Pulse happened I was using Mandriva at the time, Mandriva Linux, and it worked mostly well. There's like weird audio issues that would happen periodically, and I didn't think much of it just because I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't think we learned a lesson. I don't think we learned lessons. I think we just kind of keep repeating the same problems over and over again. Our mitigation strategy will be better because we're not going to just take away the ability of using X. We're just going to start right. pushing it by default. Hopefully developers and distribution maintainers do make it real easy and transparent for users if they do have a problem to be able to switch to the older system.
0: There's some of the things that there's no way you can work out all the bugs before it's used widely just because the more people who have eyeballs on it and different system configurations come up with oh that's an issue or that's an issue or in this certain circumstance these things happen Mm -hmm. using some of these distributions as testing beds kind of helping up some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping Fedora really works on it pretty hard. They do seem to be the most forward-leaning of the distributions. I do a lot with my computer. I love Linux. I love working with Linux. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily want to do it all the time. Sometimes I just want to use it as a tool. Right. And so I really rely on my computer to be that tool that I can rely on. And my concern is... If they push too fast, too hard, and I can't get things done, and I need to get done, that's when it becomes a problem for me. Which is kind of why where I'm at with OpenSUSE. Just the right speed for me and for everything else that I do with it. An article I read, I wish I would have recorded it. I've checked my tilly wiki and it's not in there. I read an article about how Wayland should actually be better on system resources for the whole display process. So hoping that that is the case. And there was something I read that was actually concerning mobile and ARM based systems, how they will benefit from Wayland because of the reduced overhead that Wayland will have versus X. So that's what I'm really looking forward to. Just
0: cleaner running in general. So it takes less resources.
1: Because cleaner running means more battery life, which means, you know, if you eke out another 15, 20 minutes out of your battery, to me, that's huge.
0: When you're mobile, that makes a big difference, especially if you're trying to get a specific work thing done in a certain amount of time.
1: And you're scrambling with your laptop on your lap. The alert happens, low battery warning, kind of a problem. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, another big change is coming. And it's being talked about a lot as Pipewire. It's a drop replacement for Pulse Audio and Jack that's supposed to kind of merge the two worlds. Now, I've heard things like this before. I thought Pulse Audio was supposed to be that thing that merged the worlds, but instead people were complaining about Pulse Audio. Early on, it had some issues. I've actually been enjoying how reliable Pulse Audio has been for me, for the most part, although doing certain more complex things, it does seem to fall on its face from time to time. Not necessarily recording, but if you're doing like live streaming, which I've done a few of those, it does seem to have an issue when trying to join multiple audio. Audio streams. So Pipewire is supposed to be a drop in replacement, acts like Jack and acts like Pulse Audio being easy for end user consumer based workloads and Jack being the more content creator.
0: Professional audio. Yeah,
1: there we go. Professional audio. So what do you think about this? I know some people are already using it. Michael Vash, part of the Biddle community, he's used it. He did a video, on it, an excellent video on Pipewire. He did it have issues of things that utilize Jack as being crashy, but the Pulse Audio portion of it was working great. So that's very promising. I may be able to use it since I don't use any Jack specific applications at this point. That excites me. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: I haven't used Jack and it's not because I don't want to. It's that trying to get it set up has been extremely frustrating because I did want some of that cleaner audio. I have had issues in OBS that when I try to record my video and my audio are not linking at the same time. So I've had to mess in the back end and try and get that all figured out. And it sounds like pipe wire is part of a fix for that. So Is it actually a replacement for Jack and Pulse Audio or is it kind of an overlayer? Because as I'm reading through the features, what it includes, word for word, it says seamless support for Pulse Audio, Jack, AL, SA, and GStreamer applications. So does that mean it plays well with them or uses those other backends and makes them work better?
1: It's supposed to be able to connect with all those different types of audio interfaces and then have the lower latency. Pulse Audio, the complaint that people have is it's too high latency right. for doing like professional audio tasks. If you do music production and so forth, there's just too much of a delay. Jack is just not user-friendly or just doesn't have a great method of incorporating the different consumer type devices. Like I like to switch from one audio device to another and Pulse Audio does it very well. Jack does not. As far as the other interfaces go, I think those are things that Pulse has already had plugins for, and so I wouldn't know the difference on that. Right. The SDL and OpenAL or something like that. I think it's supposed to basically be one sound server that sits and does everything cleanly.
0: One sound server to rule them all?
1: Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like the ALSA level. ALSA is actually the sound driver, essentially. The driver component. Before ALSA was OSS, the open sound service, but it can only handle one stream at a time, which is extremely, extremely annoying. When ALSA came, it was a drop and replacement to OSS, and it worked perfectly. And then the issue was, if you wanted to have like an Another audio device, or if you start mixing audio devices, also didn't have a way of taking different streams and mixing them together with any kind of control. False audio kind of fixed that, but then it had all this latency issues.
0: And then comes along Jack, which fixes the latency issues, but then you're having to deal with trying to make sure everything is connected and link things together. People that know audio and they're trying to describe, well, you just connect this thing with that thing. Like, no. Speak to me in dummy terms on this subject because. I don't know what in the world you're talking about. Audio, especially people that know audio production stuff, really high quality audio production stuff, it is a completely different language, just like the photography language is a completely different language.
1: Uh, not to make it more confusing, but there's actually Jack 1 and Jack 2. Of course there is. Yet another sound service. I think it's supposed to basically take everything and kind of pull it all in. I don't know how it's going to work out. I hope that Jack still has its plugins and able to do all the things it's able to do east of the pulse audio and the low latency of also it has all those features wrapped up into one, that would be great. I think the only thing I'm really concerned about there is losing the ability to swap between audio interfaces as cleanly as I can in Pulse Audio. That's what I'm concerned about losing there. It always comes back to, what are you concerned about losing with this? So far, it sounds like they got the Pulse Audio side of it worked out. It's just a matter of adding the other features in a stable manner. It could be the thing. This is the one I think is most likely going to happen soon. I have a lot of confidence in Pipewire.
0: I do have to agree with you on the ease of changing out different audio stuff inside Pulse, and... And that's one of the things that I do inside settings. When I'm setting up a new system, my webcam has a mic on it. I don't want it to use that webcam. I don't ever want it to use that webcam. Because of the pulse settings inside my system settings, I can turn that off, tell the system, nope, this is off. It doesn't exist. Don't even look for it. Right. Or bounce back and forth between, hey, I want to use my speakers to play something or nope i'm putting on these bluetooth headset and now send all audio through the bluetooth headset it really does make it quite nice to switch between those different things because i came to the game so late that's all I've known from Linux. I don't know the pain points of before.
1: There were definitely pain points. They're definitely not like they were before, that's for sure. The other thing that I'm concerned about too is like games. Like so many things just work so well with basically the vintage stuff like the emulators and whatnot. Finally, everything works so well with Pulse Audio. I'm hoping that stays nice and works well and works cleanly and so forth. If you played like maybe 7-8 years ago and you tried to like run a Commodore 64 game, which I'm sure you have done that, in Linux, it would take over the sound system and like be all kinds of crashy and weird things wouldn't work for a while after that had like reset pulse audio or whatnot came at a good time as to have to not to bang your head against the wall there
0: sometimes i feel like i'm missing out though because i wasn't there for that growth and development of linux but at the same time i know that my husband would not have been as patient at the time of playing with it The time that I entered Linux, because most of all of that stuff had been worked out, it was, hey, I'm changing the OS. This is what it's going to be. And my husband's like, can I still do A, B, and C? Yep. Okay. I don't care. He really doesn't care what the operating system is, as long as he can do the stuff that he wanted to and not have to fiddle with things. Right. Overall, that was a good time to jump in, even though, like I said, I feel like I'm missing out on some of the stuff that happened before.
1: I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, another change that I think has been coming sort of, or is maybe already here, is that the ARM versus x86 chip architectures now, there's news that I saw in this week in Linux that Linus Torvalds is now using the Apple M1 with his kernel development. So what do you think that means for the Linux kernel? We're going to see less emphasis on x86 because the Linux man is using ARM instead? Or do you think we're just adding more chip architectures and with better support in Linux? Does that concern you at all?
0: At this point, I really feel that they'll be side by side. ARM may be the chip of the future, but it's definitely not there yet. We are seeing some leaps and bounds as far as Far as it being in main systems from Apple and the specs that they've run and the creative work that people have still been able to do using these more efficient, less power hungry chips is absolutely awesome. So, when it comes to hardware, I am all about A, having enough power to do what I need to do, and B, making sure that it is as power efficient as possible. So, it's interesting to see this change in hardware from the linux sky x86 isn't going anywhere yet we'll see them both developing side by side most of your main laptop pre-built desktop developers aren't putting ARM as their main CPU yet. So it would be silly to drop x86 right now or move it to the back burner instead of keeping it as a main part of the kernel development. We saw 32-bit go. It's gone. It's not here anymore. And that happened during my time in Linux. There were just not enough people testing distributions that were built for that architecture. So distribution said, hey, if we can't get enough people to test it, we can no longer devote resources to making this a thing and it went away. In the future, we could see that with x86 if ARM continues to develop a good hardware technology for getting work done. It's a future thing. I kind
1: of wonder about that. So ARM is about the same age as x86. It was starting on the Acorn Archimedes, an old computer from, from the 80s, I believe. Never used one, never saw one. One of the YouTube Talked about it. It's been around for a long time. It's a little more open of a platform, I guess. I'm not really sure. My concern is yeah, there would be maybe less emphasis on x86, like the new features with it, especially since we know how frustrated Linus was with Intel and their CPU vulnerabilities. Yeah. I'm sure that's part of it too. I think it was just last year, I'm gonna say 2020, maybe 2019. Where there was some benchmarking done between AMDs, the Ryzen chips, energy used per cycle or something like that, for computational something was better than ARM, or at least on par with ARM, but had a lot of more power, obviously, as far as like computational power.
0: AMD has really done a lot of work in that department, making sure that they are toning down power consumption. That used to be the running joke. If you have something that's AMD. You have a heater, whether that was CPUs. It warm your house. Yeah, exactly. CPUs or GPUs, they ran so incredibly hot. And they have done a great job bringing their power consumption down. Some of the last I saw on TDP for AMD Ryzen CPUs was blowing Intel out of the water. Now, some of that has to do with chip architecture itself, right? AMD is running on 7 nanometer and I believe Intel is still stuck at 14. So, that does play a role in that. While ARM is close to the same age, it really didn't start to shine until mobile devices were a thing. So, in knowing that, what, for the last 10 years with smartphones and that kind of development and the work that's been put into ARM chips for everyday consumer products, ARM chips are absolutely everywhere. That's probably where it's helped bolster the ARM chips, whereas before they weren't as popular.
1: See my concern about ARM is what am I going to lose with ARM? There's a lot of applications are built for the x86 platform. Computers are powerful enough that doesn't matter because of emulation. Also, it doesn't matter because you can actually put in hardware for that as well for a period of time. That's not really an issue either. Because I mean, you can emulate a the Motorola 68K series CPUs from the 90s and be faster emulating it on a modern ARM Raspberry Pi. So that's not an issue there really. But my concern is like with ARM is there's so many different ARM platforms You can't. Really target ARM and it's going to work yeah. you have to have an ARM for Raspberry Pi or ARM for Pine64 or ARM for M1 or ARM for Samsung this one or ARM for every chip is different with x86 I can have a USB with Ventoy with a bunch of different distributions I throw it on there and I can try this computer with you know, the same build and I can just use it with ARM it's kind of a roll the dice You know maybe it's going to be supported maybe not one of the issues I have with like mobile devices is they can't support newer versions of an operating system I mean, like Lineage OS can only support some for so long I have an HP tablet that came out in 2011, so it is 10 years old. I still use it, but I can't actually do anything new on it. I can only use it for very basic functions. I have a 10-year-old x86 machine. I can still use that, and I can still use it well. That's, I think, where x86 has its benefits over ARM. I think it's just a better platform to target because it's more standardized while ARM is not. I'm sure Ryan's going to shake his head and tisk at me for this, but I think ARM is many, many years out yet until it can really be standardized as a platform, a platform that can be targeted. I don't see it taking over x86 when you have just the ubiquity of x86-based systems because of those standards that they have followed by, which I think is also a detriment to x86 because they can't change as much either. And then you have Risk Five that's starting to be a thing, and then the whole MIPS architecture is also another one, and then the Power Five that's another architecture. It's almost like the craziness of chip architectures is coming back from 30 years ago when you had so many different architectures. Now it seems like it's happening again, which is good. I think it's good. You have to have these different architectures because then people can explore and and try different things. Research can be done. We can see what come of it.
0: Absolutely. And you do bring up a really good point on the fact that ARM tends to be very device-specific or each ARM chip is different depending on the application that it's going into. And that's part of the reason why you can't just take... any old ROM and flash it to your phone. It really needs to be built with a specific kernel for that device.
1: I think Raspberry Pi has been a good platform to, as far as like an example of what I think that could happen with ARM, Pine64 as well. Your talk on Hardware Addicts about LG stopping their production of phones, mobile devices. Who's going to support that hardware? That's going to be a problem.
0: Exactly. Well, LG says that they're going to support it for a while, but they don't give a time frame for how long they're going to support devices that are out there, and I do find that to be an issue in general. Any company at any time can stop production on certain pieces of hardware and not support the software. Right now, though, if something happened to ASUS, I have an ASUS motherboard in my system, that's not going to be that big of a deal. Yeah, it's really good to make sure that I get a BIOS updates for my system, but overall, it's not the same as security patches that need to happen for mobile devices you take say the line of Chromebooks Chromebooks are everywhere especially when it comes to schools those devices are still only supported for a certain amount of time they have some of the same issues that a lot of mobile devices have where they're only getting updates for a certain amount of time once that's over once you're no longer getting those updates what are you going to do with that device other than recycle it unless you have
1: put Linux on it
0: (laughs) yeah a Linux distribution that will work on that device but when you're looking at Linux distributions for Chromebooks, you have to be really specific. Is there a Linux distribution that will work on this specific Chromebook for that very reason as does it have support for that ARM chip? That's
1: the clincher right there, I think. One of my issues with things like with Chromebooks is it's targeting one specific operating system being Chrome OS doesn't take into account other things out there that could be done, whether it be mm-hmm. Linux or BSD or Haiku or anything really more open architecture.
0: Which is why I feel more comfortable using an ARM device like a Pinebook or something like that, just because where they are an open source nature company, I know, or it is more likely that there will be support for that device much longer in the future than your standard Chromebook. This episode of DLN Extend is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a PIN to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications such as a master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com to get started for free. There are many reasons why I chose Bitwarden as my personal password manager. One of those reasons, it is 100% open source. You can also self-host your Bitwarden instance. They also offer security audits to make sure your passwords are as secure as they can possibly be. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. They offer a premium account for just $10 per year. What do you get with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want that premium account for just $10 per year to support this amazing open source software. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Speaking of all these really cool different hardware and software changes that are coming to Linux, from some of our conversations this week, you had an appliance that needed some repairs. How'd that go?
1: Unfortunately, nothing in the appliance world seems to be open source or were actually really very accessible, which is unfortunate. I did used to work for a major appliance manufacturer, so I ha- already have some like institutional knowledge. I think I am far enough removed from my employment time with that company that I can be more open about how to do these things. So I purchased a couple of used Whirlpool Duet front-loading washer and dryer set. Really nice looking set. I think they were new in like 2015 or so. It's a metallic gray, may pewter. I don't know, they probably have an internal name for it that I don't remember. And with like these chrome accents and highlights and, and so forth. A UI that's pretty decent, a little a little bit slow, but you push a button. Instead of having like a knob to turn or buttons to push, there's just like LEDs that light up a feature. You know, it's a little more friendly, more approachable, more modern. It's about the size of a smaller phone. About the size of my phone. I don't have a very big phone. Got these things used from somebody out in the country, and I don't think they utilized them properly. There's some problems with it. When I went to start it, it gave an error about a motor control unit that failed. I mean, back up here. Since I do know that there's a diagnostic mode, I just had to find out what the combination was for that. So I found the combination for getting the diagnostic mode of the washer, and I could actually see then what the failure was. It gave failure history and everything else, which is very nice. But they keep this thing hidden so the average user can't see what's wrong with their own machine, which I think is silly and a disservice to the user. Agreed. That should just be something easy to access. Now, it even says on there, if you are not a service technician, exit now. Like, yeah, okay, whatever, buddy. I got in there. (laughs) There was actually several errors. And one of them was the motor control unit. And I did talk with a former engineer that worked on these things. And he confirmed with me that if the motor control unit does not basically respond back to the main computer, then it will not continue the cycle, which is why it didn't cycle any other servos in there for like, letting water in or evacuating the sump. So I was concerned that maybe some other parts are bad in it too. I'm actually glad the motor control unit was bad in it, even though it was a $350 part. Ooh! And literally it's a board that just has some transistors on it, a couple of transistors, some heat sinks, some capacitors. So it's not a very complicated board. In fact, I'm pretty sure that board costs maybe 30 bucks. So they're getting their money out of people. And then some. Yes. So I'm pretty sure that it was the failure. I know it's because I did fix it and it's fully operational, but I'm glad it would failed because whoever worked on the washer previously, they did not put this like rubber boot or... The, as it's called bellows around the tub properly. And so what was supposed to be clamping on the tub on the outside, they had it on the inside, so it's getting wet. so basically it was soaking water. Now, I do know there's a speck, basically. It doesn't rust. They use a material, like I think it's zinc-coated, so it can handle so many hours of exposure to moisture. So it was fine. Kind of a little filthy. So it was causing water that's supposed to drain back into the tub that like get into the rubber bellows, was actually draining into the inside of the washer, which I believe is that what caused the motor control unit to fail, even though it is elevated. I think water probably infiltrated up capillary effect around the sides of it, which caused caused it to fail. Had it not been a bad control unit, and had I not actually investigated everything on it, that would have created an incredible water mess in the house.
0: We have had that happen.
1: Yes, and that's always bad. There's a catch in there, so it catches... Debris and whatnot, you have to take the front panel off, which is really a pain in the butt. And I don't understand why they had to make it so complicated. There could have been a better way of doing this. It had a lot of money in it. It had like a flosser, one of those like dental, like single use dental flossers, and it had all kinds of stuff in there. So I'm not really sure how that would have gotten in there to begin with because, well, unless there was a failure in the rubber bellows, things shouldn't actually leave the tub. I don't know what they did, uh, whoever previously owned it. Also, they used the wrong soap. So it was extremely sudsy. It's a high efficiency washer, so you don't want to have yeah. a lot of suds because that causes a failure, which actually, the soap can actually detect if it's the wrong kind of soap because it takes too long. To drain. That was also one of the failures on it, by the way. One of the error codes. <laughs> I had to like clean this thing numerous times. Vinegar is one of the best ways to clean your washer or your dishwasher. It's not toxic and it's not corrosive either. So, so now it's working. And I want to say that the whole process was made easier because of Linux and because of my TiddlyWiki, wiki because I did have notes on that and I was able to create notes and everything else further. That's my tie-in. Uh, it is working properly now. It still has a little bit of a funk to it, which I think I can wash out of it. I'm glad I got a, what would have been originally a very expensive set or not very much. It was a few bucks in repairs but still cheaper than buying new and mechanically totally fine and that's the important part electronics can be replaced pretty easily it's mechanical stuff that's a lot more expensive to replace so
0: it sounds like all kinds of excitement (laughs) having washer issues is never fun and i wish that every single person that came out to work on appliances like that either a knew what they were doing or b actually wanted to be there because we had a washer that was leaking and the guy told me it was coming from some piece way up top. And because it was mouse damage, it wasn't going to be covered by the warranty that we had on it, an extended warranty. I didn't think it was that part. Even looking at it, I'm like, uh no, I really don't think that's what it is. In our washer, there's a hose, a really small hose down at the bottom that you can use to drain the remaining water out of the machine. And then there's a little filter that you can twist out, clean up, that kind of thing. Well, it was that little hose that had a cut in it. We had three different different Technicians out here, none of them found that issue.
1: The right to repair laws that are out there, I don't know how they apply in the appliance industry exactly. I know they have to keep parts for so long and they have to keep manuals and so forth, but it does seem like, you know, when I, when I do searching online for error codes or for diagnostics and whatnot, the information out there is very, very minimal. And I wonder if that's on purpose or if it's just a lack of interest. It might be a little bit of both. I bet you could redo the entire thing, like all the controls and everything with Raspberry Pis and, Ar- and Arduinos, obviously, some more industrial sized units. Motor control unit does have have a lot of power passing through it. So have had some sort of module like that. It'd be so neat if there was one manufacturer that had an open source appliance that would actually build them like on Linux. I don't care if you do the internet of things or stuff, whatever. You can turn it on and off and maybe with some added neat little features that you can program in there or whatever. Tie it into your tiddly wiki for your grocery list or simple notes or something, you know, saying, hey, it's low on this. I don't know. I just think it'd be really neat if some appliance manufacturer just took some time and did an open source appliance. Made it so it's easy to work on it actually tells you what's wrong with it, and maybe warns you, like, "Hey, this is not good because you know, and because it's all open there, it's not just cut off to technicians. Maybe people might take better care of their appliances if the appliance actually notified them when they're being jerk faces and doing dumb things
0: and <laughs> doing things that they shouldn't be." I 100% agree with you, and that's another thing we've also talked about on Hardware Addicts is right to repair. And it's not just the average consumer with appliances like this that can be difficult to repair. I had a washer recently that I've talked about that there was something wrong with it, but it was hard to know from the regular consumer end because the way the codes work and the way that the machine is put together, even if you can get the hardware to replace it, it is very hard to get into and fix in that discussion on hardware optics and right to repair, we've also brought up the fact that there is so much really expensive machinery that farmers have to have just for food production. And now it's so much harder for them to be able to maintain these machines because the software is closed source. If something goes wrong with it and all of these computer boards, they have to go spend another very high bill to have that repaired because you have to have this special computer to read the code and fix the problem. I hate this.
1: I believe John Deere is one of the biggest culprits in that as far as their... Not allowing farmers to even work on the tractor, yeah.
0: It's absolutely ridiculous.
1: It is ridiculous. If that's how John Deere is going to be, then I think use somebody else. Because when I can do business where they care about the consumer, it comes down to that. How much do you, the manufacturer, care about your consumer? That's how I see it.
0: If you're buying a million dollars worth of equipment and anybody who has worked on a farm knows that it doesn't take much to be there for just the equipment on that side, you shouldn't be worried about what is my next service bill when this breaks. Right. The farmer should be able to fix it in the field, get back to work, and not have to worry about a specialized technician with a computer coming out.
1: Because timing is everything when you're creating food for people. You have a short window for planting, you have a short window for... For harvesting and you cannot be down because you got to wait for service tech to come out
0: right to repair here i think is an absolute necessity
1: totally agree and if your equipment is so complicated that a farmer can't fix it who's been fixing his equipment for the last
0: however many years forever, and generations <laughs> yeah
1: right then it's not good equipment your equipment's garbage that's far well wendy what's been going on in your world any new bits of hardware
0: there is a new bit of hardware and i'm so excited about this not just because of the physical piece of hardware itself, but I got it from a Destination Linux community member that lives in my state. Yay! So thank you so much, Christopher S. We got to chat for about a half hour when I got this laptop from him the first time. Hey, I've got this laptop for you. It's way too heavy for me to be packing place to place, but it's still a really solid, good machine, was one of the past episodes where I mentioned that my husband and I share the main system. So there's sometimes he's doing billing and that kind of thing to where I can't use the main system if he's on the main system. And that was kind of one of his goals was to kind of help me out in that case of having an extra laptop for that. I am really excited to make this laptop also part of the rotation for the Linux, classes. I will be starting at homeschool co-op again this fall. I am just absolutely excited to do this. Originally, I had done a class a few years ago. I also had some amazing community support, had four laptops. It was a really tiny class, but we had so much fun with that Linux class. Then our co-op expanded. We moved to a much larger building and we were able to bring more families into the fold in that instance, I knew in order to have a proper size class for this expanded co-op, I absolutely needed to have more laptops. And I talked to the gal that runs it. She's like, yeah, absolutely. Our co-op also works with an additional nonprofit, which helps with some of the funding for different classes, school activities, some of the different community stuff that we do as part of the co-op. She goes, so we'll do a price match thing, get some... Extra money to help buy laptops for this class. And it was after DLN, I just kind of put it out there hey, I'm looking for some laptops kind of within this price range. This is the budget that the co op's given me to kind of help pay for these laptops so we can have this class. I had another community member also step up this is hey, I have laptops that we use for a program for the exact purpose of getting Linux in
1: schools. That's awesome.
0: The community members here, I cannot thank you guys guys so much. You are so amazingly giving. So loving Linux that you want to share this with the younger generations. And I, I really, I can't thank you guys so much for all of your contributions in making sure that this class happens and that our local homeschool co-op will be getting Linux classes once again. Like I said before, it was so awesome to meet you, Christopher. I can't even describe how much fun it is to be with a community member and have a chat with them face-to-face. What needs to happen now is that the world needs to go back to normal so that we can have these conferences again and I can make it to one of them. I have to meet all of you. I just have to.
1: I'd like to actually meet people face-to-face, not just over a screen or just yeah. by voice. It'd be really awesome to actually have these conversations with people in real life.
0: It's a completely different interaction.
1: It is. They I can see how goofy I really am. <laughs> That's really awesome how the community helped you out like that. That is super awesome.
0: The thing is, is because this support has come in, I still have that budget to work with. So I have some of the laptops need new batteries and that kind of stuff. So instead of buying laptops themselves, I can use those funds to make sure that all the laptops are upgraded to the point where we'll have a seamless, well-running class.
1: Yeah, a lot of times older machines are just fine, especially for a learning environment. I mean, you don't want brand new things anyway that it'll break. Molder things that you can get parts for cheaper.
0: Exactly. I would love to do a photo editing class, but that also involves, or a photography class in which we edit, but that involves getting cameras too when we're just not there. And that would require some machines that got a little bit more oomph to them. That's down the road. I still have lots of years with kids in school. We can do that later. But for right now, I am just overwhelmed with the generosity City of our community. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to contact the social media channels, all of our shows, and creators at DestinationLinux.network. If you'd
1: like more information on where you can find me, go to cubicleNate.com, like Links to my regular written blatherings podcast and YouTube channel be found there.
0: If you want to find Matt, you can follow him and all of his random ramblings on Twitter at mattdln. You can find me on Mastodon at wendydln at mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store and grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag along with swag for all the shows across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode. Until then, have a great week, everyone.